Well, I wonder if, as you switch your televisions on and you watch uh, the news at lunchtime or before you go to bed or you put your, your radio on as you're driving in the car and you listen to the news, I wonder if you just don't know how to respond. You just don't know what, what to think, what to say, what to do. There are so many difficult things going on at the moment in our world, aren't there? That from our human perspective, it can all seem a little bit despairing. We can look back at the last 18 months and see how life has changed so much. We've taken so much for granted, we think, maybe in the past. And we look at our lives now and realise they're quite fragile. Life isn't as we once knew it. Economically, we have figures on our news about employment and, and recovery. We look politically at our world. We see what's going on in Afghanistan. We see what's going on in Russia and, and China and in the US. And we think, well, there's no solace to be found in those places really either, is there? And then we saw on our television screens a couple of weeks ago the, those terrible pictures from the, the, the south and the eastern states of the, of the US, the, that hurricane, Hurricane Ida, that really wreaked havoc and destroyed so much property and, and so many places, killing tens of people. It's just terribly tragic, isn't it, when, when lives are lost in that way and uh, people are desperate. There's simply nowhere to turn. But let's not just think that all the problems are out there let's come closer to home and, and maybe you're, you're sitting here this morning or you're listening to this uh, at home and, and maybe to the people even who are here with us this morning unknown to the people who are around us maybe you're going through something in your life that that is a real struggle and maybe nobody else is aware of that maybe you've got uh, an illness and you're waiting for some tests or you're waiting for a diagnosis or financially, you're, you're just about getting by, but the last 18 months have been uh, so difficult, they've left you feeling so worried about how you're going to make ends meet. Maybe looking for a job and employment success isn't really there at the moment, you've not been very successful, or, or maybe you've got strained relationships with friends or with family, with parents, with children, with spouses, with siblings. Just maybe these last 18 months have just left you feeling so concerned still. Maybe the classroom that you go into tomorrow morning or, or the workplace as you go into the office have become difficult places for you because people mock you for uh, the fact that you believe in a God, that you have a personal real faith and you're isolated maybe in your workplace because of the God that you claim to know. Life can be stressful, it's full of, of multiple pressures and if we're honest, sometimes it can feel like it just gets a little bit too much. This life can have many doubts, can't it? And so many despairs. And I could go on, but you get the idea. This is the human experience of, of living in a fallen world. In your life, or in the life of someone very close to you, it is so very possible that some of these struggles that I've mentioned, they could be real for you, or felt very keenly by those around you. And in it all, we can wonder, well, what are we to do? Where are we to turn? And this morning, as we come to Psalm 93, we find great comfort as we are reminded by the psalmist that the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. And this psalm, it begins by speaking of that very fact. And actually, it is found in a whole group of psalms, from about Psalm 93 to 100, that affirm this, that the Lord really is king, that he really does rule over all of creation. The Lord God reigns. And so this morning I trust that 
uh, for those of us who are Christians, those of us who are following the Lord Jesus, we, we come from different situations and different backgrounds. We have a different week ahead of us. Just that all of us will be encouraged by these three things, that the Lord reigns in majesty, that the Lord reigns over chaos, and then thirdly, that the Lord reigns among his people. That's where we're going this morning. And my prayer is that it, even if you're not a Christian as you listen to this, that you'll see what you're missing out on. You'll see the comfort that could be yours and that you'll want to come and know uh, this mighty God for yourself even this morning. And so then the first th thing, the first point for us that Psalm 93 tells us is that the Lord reigns in majesty. The Lord reigns in majesty. And we can see that in verses 1 and 2. If you have a Bible, take a look at what it says. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The Lord reigns. That's a headline. If you don't take anything else away from this morning, I hope that you do. But if there's all you take from this morning, take that. The Lord reigns. The Lord has all authority over this world. And so here we have this wonderful proclamation of, of the Lord's glorious rule. There, there is no other deity who reigns, despite what other sincere religious people might tell you as you meet them. Don't ever let anybody tell you otherwise. There's no other God who can make any sort of claim like this, that they rule. No, it is the Lord who reigns. And at the very outset of this psalm, any doubt, any ambiguity, any uncertainty, it's just thrown out of the window. It is emphatically declared that the Lord, and the name of the Lord here is, is that of Yahweh, so that the great covenantal God of Israel, the, the promise-giving, promise-making, promise-keeping God of the Scriptures, it is He and He alone who reigns. But how does He reign? Well, as we go through this psalm, we'll see how his reign is evident in both creation and salvation. But notice in verse 1, that, that powerful repetition. We read that he's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. Here's this, this expression of God's sovereignty and his rule. It's not inactive. It's not subdued. But rather, God is seen here as magnificent. He, he's armed for battle he's robed with majesty and that lovely little image it just helps us to grasp all that is associated with all of who our god is and all that he has done for us just as like how you left this morning and you thought oh it's got a bit cooler now than it than it was at the start of the week and so and i grab a coat you put a coat on or a jacket to come out and just because and you did that because that coat belongs to you and, and you're wearing that now maybe well, the Lord is robed with majesty, which belongs to him. And this majesty, it in turn reveals the nature of the glory and the strength of the Lord, the great king who has power to subdue all things to his control. And that's exactly what we see in, in the second half of verse 1 and then verse 2. See that the psalmist says, the world is, is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The Lord is strong and the Lord is powerful. And here we read of how the Lord established his kingship on earth when he created the world. That that is how this world came to be. That God created it. He really made it. And that means that by extension, both you and I this morning are here today because God is the creator. 
It's as simple as that. And so that stands in, in such blunt contrast, doesn't it, to the, to the teachings of chaos and, and random happenings in, in the distant past. No, the Lord has established this world. And that means that everything that's going on in it this morning, the world's ongoing order, all the moral principles that still are there and still exist, they underline the, that the order is there because of God. It is sure, it is faithful. The way this world works happens because they're guaranteed by God's own faithfulness. He has set the world on a firm foundation. And because he's done it, that means it's not going to wobble and all of the strain that comes against it because he has firmly established his rule. That's why this psalm tells us it cannot be moved. And this is important for us. It's an important connection to follow because it means that the stability of this world in which we're living in is not in any way inherent. That is that there's nothing in, this, in the world in and of itself which makes it stable. This physical world that we're living in is only established because of God, because of the Lord's throne. Your throne was established long ago, as verse 2 says. And so by that same logic that the psalmist uses here, we can say that the world in which we are living, the world of humanity, it's only ever stable, it's only ever established, only in so far as the throne of God is acknowledged. Because we know all too well, don't we, that left to ourselves, humanity is just forever in turmoil. Human nations, they rage against one another. Human empires, well, they come and go if you read the history books. And so at this point, the psalmist wants it to be absolutely clear. We're directed back to the Creator, the God who Himself was and is and ever will be everlasting. The Lord is from everlasting. He's never ending. He's from all eternity, verse 2 says. And that just sends our little minds into overdrive, isn't it? How are we ever meant to get our minds around that? We're just too finite. Our, our minds, they can't manage that. Well, that doesn't make it false or, or untrue because the infinite God is greater and bigger than all else who reigns. And maybe you're, if you're in school, you've done some, some history as you started back this term. Or if you haven't yet, I'm sure you will at some point. And history is full of the accounts of kings and queens, isn't it? They reigned over nations, some of them for very short times, a couple of days, some of them. And some for very, very long times. And depending on your view of history, if you go on to study it further, there were some who you might say, well, they reigned pretty well. And then there's others who you think they didn't do a very good job at all. But the one thing that they have in common is what? That they all came to an end. Their reign finished. Their reign stopped. At the moment, we've got Queen Elizabeth II, the queen in the UK, and she overtook the, the long-standing record of Queen Victoria a few years ago. And no matter how much of a fan of her you might be, next year, it's 70 years since the start of her reign, you might be a big fan of the royal family, whatever it might be. But the sad news I've got to give you this morning is that one day her reign is going to end. It will one day finish. There's those posters in your history class when you were in school of the timeline of the kings and queens. And we learn about that in history because it's in the past. Their reign has ceased. It is no more. But that is not the case with God. That is not what Psalm 93 tells us because God's reign is eternal. It will never, ever end. 
And so the psalmist begins by just clearly stating that, that the eternal creator God who made this world, who made you, who made me, is the one who reigns in all majesty and all power and all strength this morning, tomorrow, next week, and forever. That's a comfort for us, isn't it? That's an encouragement. That whatever your struggle, whatever your concern, remember that God reigns. He reigns in majesty. He reigns eternally. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged this morning that God is on his throne. He's enthroned in heaven. He's robed in majestic robes of glory. He's armed with all power to humble anybody. His eternal throne, it is majestic. It is strong. It is firmly established. The Lord, he reigns in majesty. That's the first encouragement for us this morning. Well, the psalmist goes on then, secondly, to tell us that the Lord reigns over chaos in verses 3 and 4. The Lord reigns over chaos. And that, and that really builds on what we've already seen in verses 1 and 2, that this world that we live in is not inherently stable, but it only stands firm because of the firmly established throne of God. Left to ourselves, humanity is just forever in chaos and disorder, and you only need to go home and watch the 10 o'clock news tonight or, or read the history books to just have that confirmed. And so this is built upon then in verse 3, as we have this, this threefold repetition. I wonder if you noticed that as we read this psalm a little earlier, and it powerfully emphasizes the point of the psalmist. See, verse 3 says that the seas have lifted up, O Lord, the seas have lifted up their voice, the seas have lifted up their pounding waves, lifted, lifted, lifted. Just as the sea in such a stormy state, you can imagine, would, would overwhelm you, so to hear this, this repetition, it kind of has an overwhelming effect as it comes again and again relentlessly. And in picture language, this hostile scene is something that we can be so familiar to us as, as we look around at our world, at what we see in our own lives. Because the Bible is, is realistic when it comes to the full fury of all of life's hostilities. As this sea here is pictured with its pounding, pounding waves, I mentioned a little earlier that we've seen some of those pictures on our TV screens of, of the US and that hurricane battering the south and eastern coast. And we see the, the destruction of life and uh, the property and, and all of these things being destroyed and damaged. And life is just turned completely upside down, isn't it? When I was a, a student uh, in Aberystwyth, uh, one January there was, there was a terrible storm. You might uh, remember it, that over successive days of high tides and strong winds, and real rain, it caused an awful lot of damage to the seafront. We had uh, news crews there, so it was a bit interesting for us as, as students. And it was just after the Christmas holiday, so not everyone had come back. So the university postponed the start of term, they postponed the start of exams, there wasn't many complaints from us. But if you remember that, there was pictures of, uh, the, there was a shelter on the promenade and it fell into the, into the sea, the seawall, it, it, it had collapsed. And it was just from the relentless impact of the waves day after day after day, again and again, they pounded at the seafront and it caused significant damage, it took a while to clear up afterwards. And I think it's because of, of events like that. Uh, like my experience in Aberystwyth, those things we've seen on our TVs in the States recently, those pictures just help us to have an idea of what is being described for us here. You see, the, the original reader, the Israelite mind, would have read and sung this psalm hundreds of years ago when it, when it was written, uh, and they would have regarded the, the raging sea as the most vivid picture of uncontrollable chaos and evil. 
And, and that is what is going on here. This imagery of, of the sea and the waves is a symbol of chaos, of evil. And, and often the psalmist would link that to, to the rising and the falling of nations. And so if we take that imagery of, of the, the, the hurricane in the states and, and we apply that to this verse, we can see this verse describing the, the nations. They rise up and they pound the the metaphorical seashores and the property with great force. There's great destruction in this world. And there's even struggle in your life this morning. Because there's chaos in our world, isn't there? But the Lord reigns even over that. In such chaos, he is king. See what verse 4 tells us, in contrast to the rising up of the floods. Verse 4 says, mightier, mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. God is greater than our circumstances. The Lord is mightier. He's established his kingship, even over the chaos of these seas. And brothers and sisters, this is a great comfort for us, because although we said the Bible is realistic in its view of life's hostilities, it's also realistic in its view of the glory and the power and the authority of God. He's mighty. He is far mightier than anything in this world. God's mightier than the sea. The waters are controlled by his power. He is enthroned on high. And this is true in all senses. Literally, the Lord is true because he sets the limit of the physical waves. If you would go down to Swansea Bay, you would note that the waters come to where they do because the Lord literally says so. That's what he tells Job in Job 38. He sets the boundary. They can't cross. But also, he is, as we think about this image this morning, he's the one who rules over the, the seemingly powerful kingdoms of this world. Like what you would find in Psalm 2. The Lord sits over them all. And so no matter how stormy the, the nations on earth may become, God is still on the throne. The Lord's sovereignty is absolutely able to guarantee that. The Lord on high is mighty in your circumstances, maybe even your chaotic circumstances. Maybe chaos is a good word for how you feel life is at the moment and that you're currently experiencing. And yet, God is still on the throne. And maybe you need reminding of this this morning. Maybe you need reminding of the fact that God reigns. He really does. He is on the throne. Be encouraged in your walk with the Lord this morning. That he reigns. He is with you. See, though the sea was feared then as the source of chaos, even the habitat of monsters, God's rule is absolute over all such forces. As much today as it was then. Because the Lord, he is mightier even than the, than the seas of this life. The Lord is the one who reigns over the chaos. And so having seen that, and that the Lord reigns in majesty, I want us to see one final encouragement from Psalm 93 this morning. And that is this, that the Lord reigns among his people. The Lord reigns among his people. And we turn to verse 5 uh, to see that this morning. The Lord's kingship, it finds a particular expression among his people, among the community of believers. His lordship is really evident among us. The Lord has given his people statutes that, start, that, that stand firm. The start of verse 5 tells us that, that your statutes, Lord, stand firm. 
And it's here that we see God's true glory and, and his true reign. It's not just one of, of absolute strength, but it, it is that. It's also character. The word statute or, or decree in the ESV is like that found throughout Psalm 119, that, that great long psalm where the psalmist dwells upon the greatness of God's word. And here the thinking is much the same, that God's testimonies, they really do stand firm. And this emphasizes to us that the scriptures rest on the integrity of God. Because of who God is, we can say that all of the statements, all of the warnings, all the promises, all the commands that it contains are true. This is wonderful. This is fantastic. Because it means that we can completely rely on God, on his word. We can totally depend upon the word of God. And it is all because the, the Lord's rule is absolute over all things that we should obey his word, his statutes. Because verse 5 goes on to say that holiness adorns your house or holiness befits your house. Or as another translation says, holiness is the beauty of your temple. And in the Old Testament, the, the Lord placed his dwelling among his people. And God's holiness was the, was the temple's inner glory. You might remember, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, that it was only the high priest who, who once a year could go and enter what was known as the Holy of Holies, at the very heart of the temple where God's presence was most keenly known and felt and experienced, to make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And the Lord's presence there was, was a, a revelation of his holiness and his glory. And it, it evoked reverence and awe and, and worship as the entirely other God, the one who made all things, the one who is completely holy and glorious, made his dwelling among his people. And so they back then, they, they could do no other but respond with awe and worship. That was the only appropriate expression that God had come to dwell among his people. And that's the only appropriate response for us here this morning. That's because God's word, his statutes, they stand firm for endless days. His presence really is firm for endless days. And his promises stand firm and they extend to all time and were confirmed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In him. We know this from one of the names that he has, which was explained by the angel who appeared to, to Joseph. Then in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, the angel said to Joseph that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. In Jesus, in Emmanuel, we have the presence of God with us. We have God dwelling among us. And so we should be moved this morning to respond in awe to this wonderful truth of Emmanuel. Because God's holiness, I wonder if you realise this friends, that God's holiness, it is more threatening than the stormiest of seas like verses 3 and 4 speak of. It's more threatening than the hostilities of chaos in this world. Because how can we ever stand before a holy God in all of his holiness, in all of his perfection and all of his glory? How can we ever stand before him when we are far from that? When we are not holy, we are not perfect, we are not good. And the answer to that is found in Emmanuel. The answer is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had the power to still a physical storm on the Sea of Galilee. As his experienced fishermen disciples, they thought that he, they were going to drown. But that is just a sign of his triumph over the ultimate chaos of sin. 
and death on the cross. Friends, that is the greatest chaotic hostility that you can face in this world. Sin and death, that is your most pressing, pounding way that you will find in this life. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ has even triumphed over that because he is mightier. He's God who dwelt among us and he is able to destroy destruction and break brokenness and kill death. He can do that because when he was on the cross, he was willingly enduring the ultimate storm under the ultimate waves of sin and death. And you see, friends, despite the last 18 months that we've had, we need to be real and honest and recognize that there's only one storm that can truly sink us. And that is the storm of eternal justice. That which we owe for all our failures and wrongdoings against others, but more than that, against God himself. That is the only storm that can truly sink us. And yet that storm is calmed by Jesus himself when he breathes his last on the cross and gives up his life for his people. And so wonderfully, if Jesus doesn't abandon us and let us down in that most ultimate of storms, do you really think he's going to abandon you now in the, yes, no doubt real, but smaller storm that you might be going through right now? That's the promise that we have, you see, in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And you might be about to head into work tomorrow morning, and for whatever reason, you're just dreading it. Things are stormy, the boat is rocking, uh, and you'd rather stay in bed. Or maybe you continue to be terribly worried about COVID and, and the numbers and the cases and what's going to happen this winter. You might be publicly or privately struggling with, with your health. You might have uncertainty about uh, the future. Things are stormy. You're not really sure what your life has become as you just run a relentless treadmill. It feels to you of eat and sleep and work and repeat just to pay bills, to buy food. And you just feel those waves pounding you in the stresses and strains of life. But if Jesus doesn't abandon us and let us down in, in that most ultimate of storms as he dies in the place of people like us, do you really think now that he would abandon you? Yes, in these real, but no doubt smaller storms than that greater storm that Christ endured. Do you think he's going to abandon you given all that he's gone through? in this trial that you're experiencing right now. He's not going to. He's not going to do that. But you sit there this morning and maybe you say, well, it does feel like I have been abandoned. And yet we know from the word of God that that can't be true, that God doesn't abandon his people. His word tells us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so maybe then, if that is our experience this morning, maybe we do have to ask ourselves the question, well, if Jesus hasn't abandoned us, maybe have we began to slowly and subtly abandon Jesus? Have we began to replace him with someone or something else? Are we focusing on someone or something else, trusting in someone or something else, worshipping someone or something else instead of him? Is my focus elsewhere? Have we begun to grow cold? Have you drifted far from him? You're here this morning physically, but in your heart you're far uh, away. You know you're far away from King Jesus, the one who you said you once loved. Or maybe even you're listening this morning and you know that you're missing out on all of this because you don't know Jesus at all. You've never known him. You do not know Emmanuel. You don't know God with us. 
And here is someone with almighty power. And yet Jesus gives up his own life in order for all who come to him to have life as it is meant to be lived, life to the full. So despite all of our wrongdoings, we can be right with God. We can know God all because of Jesus, because he came and he dwelt among his people and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the Lord, reigns. And he is mighty. He has great power. And that even extends over sin and death itself. I wonder, do you know this king this morning? The one who reigns in might over the stormiest of seas. The one who reigns over the chaos. The one who reigns in majesty. Will you come to this king this morning? Put your faith in him if you haven't done that already. But for those of us who have, for those of us who are trusting in the Lord Jesus, those who know him as our king, by God's grace, although the only right and the proper, proper response is our holiness. Here in verse 5 of Psalm 93, we read that that holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. And the Apostle Paul actually relates that to, to the living temple, to us, the church. Where in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16, he writes that, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. God once signaled his presence in the temple by filling it with a cloud of his glory and now he lives in his people by the Holy Spirit. God's spirit dwells in you this morning if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus. And so holiness is the only fit and right and proper response to that reality. All of God's people should be conscientiously pure. We should be striving to live that life that God has called us to live because the holiness of God's people is a, is a beautiful thing. That's what, that's what that word adorns there in verse 5 means. It befits, it is fitting. It is to make more beautiful, more attractive. And there is nothing more beautiful in the life of a Christian than a growing likeness to his image, an entire devotedness to him. You're God's temple. And because God lives in you, holiness adorns you. It's the greatest adornment. And I wonder, do we realize that as, as we close? Are you making that effort to... Be conscientiously pure and devoted to God. With his help and by his grace, we should obey his word and then put on holiness in the presence of our God, the one who reigns among his people as he now dwells with us. Brothers and sisters, the psalmist packs so much into these five verses and I trust that we take encouragement this morning from the undeniable fact that the Lord reigns that he reigns in majesty, that he reigns over the chaos, and that he reigns among us, his people. He dwells in our hearts. This is a wonderful comfort, isn't it? As those pounding waves and storms continue on in your life, maybe, if you're a Christian this morning, well, then you can know with absolute certainty, you can know the one who reigns over it all in strength and in majesty and in power. Because Christ is the one who reigns over sin and death itself. Through his death and through his resurrection, God with us. And so we can say that belief in this mighty God, belief that the Lord reigns is the ultimate solution to your, your doubt or to your despair this morning. He reigns among us. He reigns in you if you are his child. 
And because of that, we should obey His Word and respond to Him in awe and in worship. Brothers and sisters, because of the Lord's power in both creation and in salvation, this world is ultimately saved. It really is. Because your God reigns.